We're in a series on the kingdom of God, praying as we do, your kingdom come. God is the king. And this morning we're going to focus in what this means for us, particularly financially. And the message is that there is for us in God's kingdom, there is financial freedom. Does anyone like the sound of that? Yeah, I thought you might do. Uh, Financial freedom. And we're going to unpack what it is that Jesus had to say about financial freedom. And we're going to mostly draw on Matthew's gospel and start with this verse from Matthew chapter 6, right there in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Am I making this jump around? Is it me? I don't know what's going on. It's fine. We'll get, okay. Um, No one can serve two masters. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. And this is a teaching about money because Jesus says, To finish this verse, you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus here says that money is not just a thing out there, but it has, it it claims our allegiance in some way. There's a way in which money can take a hold of us so that it in, in our experience, it's like, are we going to do what God wants or are we going to do what money wants? It's like money itself can have a power over us and demand things from us. And Jesus says, it can't work that way. This is a teaching about the kingdom of God. If God is king, he is Lord, he is master then we cannot also be subject to the mastery of money, which is the same thing as saying there is financial freedom for us in the kingdom of God. That having God as king means that we are not bound in service to money, whatever, we'll look at what that might mean in more detail in a minute. But instead of being bound to money, There's a freedom for us financially that is part and parcel of God being king in our lives. Of course, today, uh, when I say financial freedom, many of you will be starting to think of things like this. It would be lovely to be given £161,653,000. That would be a good Sunday in many ways. Um, Actually, I have a cousin who works in Lloyds Bank in that part of Lloyds Bank that supports really high net worth individuals and has supported lottery winners in knowing what to do with their money. And he tells me, as I'm sure you sometimes read in the papers, that for some of them, it just does them in. Spoils all of their relationships and leads them to be neurotic. So be careful what you wish for Um, But nonetheless, that phrase, financial freedom, 
for many of us, will mean uh, having as much money as we want so that we're free to spend money on whatever we choose. Uh, That may immediately make you think it would be great to be able to throw in your job and to be free to go on a holiday to Barbados. That sounds like financial freedom. But what Jesus has to say about financial freedom is something of a contrast with that. And we're going to rummage around a little bit in Matthew's gospel and see what Jesus has to say. What does it look like when we are financially free? And we're going to, our first bit of rummaging is simply to continue in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus speaks about being freed from stress. This is the first aspect this morning of financial freedom to be freed from stress. Let's read Jesus' words. Just after he's spoken about not being able to serve both God and money, he says, therefore I tell you, don't worry. Don't worry about your life what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father, he feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that's how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and it's gone tomorrow, it's thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Freedom from stress about finance. Now, the Bible teaches that if we can work, then we should do so, and take responsibility for gaining an income. But it also says that if we can't work for whatever reason, then God will still provide. And that even if we do work and gain an income through our work, then that income still comes to us by the grace of God. That whatever we have is his goodness towards us. And so whatever we have received, we can see God's hand in it. And as Jesus says here, God knows what we need. He doesn't wait for our prayers to inform him of what our needs are. He knows them already. 
So that when we pray, he's simply delighted that we're sharing our need, the knowledge of our needs with him. He's like, I knew that you needed that. I'm really pleased that you've chosen to talk to me about it. That's the nature of prayer. So we don't have to be stressed about finance because God promises to provide. Now, some of you are thinking those are very easy words to say. But it doesn't take any great gift of discernment or insight to know that I'm speaking in part to a group of people. There will be some people here who are actually really quite stressed right now about finance. And... um, I, am not, I, you know, I have not lived a life free from stress about finance. Uh, I have at times been very stressed indeed about money, as I'm sure some of you are, might even be feeling today. And you know, It's not just to do with amounts of money. Um, there's something here about the way in which money can get a hold of our hearts and minds and have an impact on us. Um, I remember in 2010 having a three-month study break from my responsibilities in leading the church and learning in that time when I wasn't around to do anything that we were looking at a £70,000 gap in the church finances that year. And that was, that, I found that quite stressful. But, you know, when I was a graduate student and not managing the overdraft that the bank had so very generously given me, and going beyond what they had said I could borrow, and was getting letters saying, and you've been charged £20 for that. And I thought, well, that's not helpful, is it? (laughs) The problem is I've run out of money and more than, and you're charging me £20. And I I was profoundly stressed by that. At the time, I was working in the zoology department that they are about to knock down. And I don't know if you remember Jeremy, but I remember on several occasions saying, you know, Jeremy, by the way, who came and brought that excellent word this morning, was um, then also working in the zoology department and pastoring me. And I don't know how many times I disturbed your day saying, ah, <laughs> 20 quid. <laughs> the truth is that God promises to provide for all of our needs, big and small. But it, For me, as I'm sure it will be for you, there's been a journey of gaining confidence in God's promises. And as I've learned more and more over the years about God's consistent faithfulness, I've learned not to worry. Not that I'm entirely free from worry, but it's not the kind of stress that I once had. And I want to be clear this morning that God promises to deal with the small things as well as the big things. If we turn to Matthew 17, there's this lovely little story in verse 24. It says, Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, and the collectors of the two drachma tax came to Peter. Now, two drachmas, this is a small thing. This is a bit like if you're driving to Whitney over the Swinford toll bridge and you need to pay 5p. It's, it's, it's not a great challenge to pay two drachmas, unless, of course, you haven't got it. And I've had occasions when I've been driving towards Ensham and realized I've only got 3p in the car. <laughs> and not 5p. And, and you know, I'm two pence short, and that is stressful. 
Because it rather depends which man's in the toll booth. Some of them are like, yeah, whatever. And some of them are like, you are evil. And you should... At least it feels that way. That I'm trying to defraud them of two pence. It's one of those things. It's a small thing. And what the collectors, though, of said tax, said, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, Peter said. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? He asked. From whom... Do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes from their own sons or from others? Peter answered, from others. Too right. So Jesus says, the sons are... This is funny, isn't it? This is Jesus, be the son of God, being taxed for the upkeep of the temple, which is his father's house. And just It's kind of dripping with irony and humor. But Jesus says, the sons are exempt, but so that we may not offend them, go to the lake, throw out your line, Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find for a four drachma coin. Ha! Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. I love this story. It's just a little thing. Uh, he could have found some whopping great big gold talent in there. Talent being the name of you know, more expensive coins. Just four drachmas, just what we need, just for today. It's in a fish's mouth. Go find the fish. God cares for the small things as well as the big things. I wondered which stories to tell this morning. Just a minute, uh, Isaac, we'll watch that video. Um, but just giving you, giving you warning. But um, I remember on one occasion when our car had died. Um, this was the first Vauxhall that we had on which the head gasket went. We've got another one that the head gasket's going on at the moment. But, and we, amazingly, somebody was generous enough to us that they gave us enough money to buy a new car which was amazing, and yet we still had a problem. Because all the cars that we could buy were not on our front drive or even on a bus route, and we didn't have a car to go and look at cars in order to decide which one to spend the money on that God had provided. This was a small problem compared to the one we had previously when we had no money, but it was still a challenge. And one Saturday morning, I happened to be in the office here at the King Centre, and uh, the phone rang, and there was an Australian guy called Jared on the phone. Some of you have heard me tell this story before. And he said, um, I was in town, and someone gave me a card with your church number on, and, um, and that's why I'm phoning you, because I'm leaving the UK in about three hours' time, and I've got a Peugeot 205 I've been trying to get rid of, and no one's buying it, and I'm not going to sell it. And if I can meet up with you in the next half hour, you can have it for free. And there were several things that were peculiar about this story. One of them was that at that time, we were not doing any kind of street outreach like the kind that was just described as the turning. So, so I was a bit confused as to how this could even be, but it was, and we met just around the corner here, other side of the lock there on Osney Island. And I wondered as I was walking across whether he was maybe not an Australian, but an angel. Although maybe you get Australian angels, I don't know. <laughs> um, and there were a few things, though, in the boot of the car that made me think he wasn't an angel. <laughs> um, so I'm not quite sure how God worked all of that. But he there and then signed over this little Peugeot 205 to me, which is quite delightful because... I quite like Peugeot 205 because they're quite nippy, and that's a good thing. And then I used this car to drive around to different places in the county and found a Ford Mondeo, which, we were, which was just in the 
price bracket that we wanted, and I decided that was the car, and I told the people I'll be back to buy it. And then I drove home in this little Peugeot 205, and I was about three-quarters of a mile from home, and the, this little Peugeot 205 just died. And, and that was it. And it wasn't, it, you know, I believe in resurrection, <laughs> but it, it turned out not to apply to this car. It was just, that was it. It, wasn't, it was written off and not worth repairing. And God had just provided for that, that little need, completely out of nowhere. I want to say to you that these words of Scripture are true, that God, your Father, knows what you need. And the accumulation of these kind of experiences in a Christian's life do lead you to be less stressed. You know, when the head gasket started going on our current car, I was not stressed in the same way that I was when it went on that other one previously. Uh, actually, there was a little bit kind of, I wonder what, I mean, it was, a, I was a bit annoyed. But I was also, there was another little thing in there, which is, I wonder what God's going to do. I just wonder how it's going to work out this time. I wonder how God's going to provide. I'm not asked to meet a real angel this time. Um, whatever I and Bev and I have seen in, our, in terms of personal provision, you know we've seen much more together as a church. Much, much more together. Uh, eight years ago in 2010, when there was that £70,000 gap, and I was like, oh, Lord. Uh, Someone gave a gift. I think it was £72,000 that year. Just one-off gift. Happens to be the right amount of money. Ha. Um, a bit further ago, many of you will know in our own history as a church, there was a point where um, we were given, we, we prayed for the mortgage that we had at that time, for the back of it to be broken. It stood at £1.6 million. Some of us were in here praying, and the next morning a cheque arrived for £790,000. And had been posted the day before we all had the special prayer meeting to pray for the breakthrough in the finances. So we have those kind of stories. Um, And I could keep going with those, but I thought actually the video that I'm taking a few minutes to get to is the story of another church. This is Destiny Church in Glasgow who have their own story. And I just thought it would be refreshing for especially those of us who've been around some years and you know the stories I'll tell about God's provision to us as a church to see what it is when God... Uh, has worked elsewhere. So it's going to take about 10 minutes, and it's worth listening to. Thanks. The enemy wants you to constantly live in a place where you can be offended with yourself and stop using your faith. So you have to decide, I'm going to, I'm going to just take another step. And it's a very uncomfortable place to be, right? At least I think so, anyway. We, we bought a building six years ago in the middle of the recession. And we tried to plant another campus in the city center. We couldn't find anywhere to meet. Then one day we find this four-story building. And it was to let. So we went and had a look at it. We only wanted one floor. It had been been a bank, a bank's business headquarters. So we went to the bank and said, can we lease the floor? So they say, yeah, lease the floor. So uh, it goes to our lawyers to drop a simple lease. And then the bank say, the lawyer said to me, the bank's not responding. They want to sign the lease. So I tried to phone them and they wouldn't pick up my phone. 
I was stuck. We have nowhere to meet. Right? Nowhere to meet. So I got down to this building early one morning praying. saying, God, what's going on? What is all this about? You told us to plan this campus. Now we can't even find a place to meet. And then the Lord spoke to us. Why do you want to rent it when you can own it? Well, I thought that didn't even occur to me. What? The whole thing? Buy it. I'm not, I, I, can, I, I remember standing there being flabbergasted. Buy it with what? <laughs> and then cutting a very long story short, I found, I got a hold of the mobile number of the owners of this building. Two Jewish guys. And I phoned them up. The guy answers. I said, hey, we've never met, but you've got a building in Glasgow. Would you sell me it? He says, I don't have a building in Glasgow. I said, yeah, you do. He said, no, I don't. I said, you do. I've just checked the land registry. He said, I'll call you back. 20 minutes later, he called me back. You're right, we do. <laughs> These two Jewish guys had three billion pounds worth of property. They didn't know what they had. So we thought the bank owned it, but the bank had leased it. So we start talking. They said, what is a church? What with a bank? So I say to these guys, let's meet and I'll tell you. So they say, okay. So I fly down. We meet them in Stansted Airport, in a hotel at Stansted Airport, right? Two really, really, really authentic 65-year-old Jewish guys. And we start talking and tell them what our vision is and what we're doing with young people and our food banks and all this going on. He said, that is amazing. That is amazing. And he said... We're third-generation property owners. We sell nothing. We never sell. He said, I tell you what, I'll sell you that building for what I paid for it in 1987 when it was built. So I said, great. I haven't had it valued. I have no money. I have nothing. I said, what was that then? He said, 2.3 million. And God said to me, shake his hand and do a deal. So I said, you got a deal? (laughs) So... I'm thinking, what am I doing? And then we have a real interesting conversation. This is another story besides. She says, how's the church going to pay for a building? So I say, well, we, we tithe and give. He said, what's a tithe? So I said, you guys are Jews, right? <laughs> so <laughs> he said, yeah. And you don't know what a tithe is? No. I said, you go to a synagogue? Never miss. I said, how do you run a synagogue? He said, oh, that's easy. The rabbi works out what the annual budget is. He works out what we're all worth and gives us a bill on January 1st. I said, ooh, maybe we could run a church like that. (laughs) (laughs) But the story went on, and it was, you don't know what a tithe is. not right. You know Abraham, right? Abraham, who's he? Is he a property developer? I said, no, your ancestor. They'd never heard of him. So I said, what do they teach you in the synagogue? He said, I have no idea. It's all in Hebrew. (laughs) And they were genuine, full on in their community. Right? They they were very, very wealthy people. And their biggest passion was they, they, they served kosher meals and wheels to the elderly. That's what they loved doing. So we had this great opportunity to teach them about their inheritance. Anyway, long story short, I go back. First thing, I've got to get this building valued. And it was worth more than we were buying it for. But we didn't have a penny. So we talked to the church. The church gives sacrificially. But the parting shot, the parting shot from these two Jewish guys was this. Hey, 
you know the bank have still got nine years left of land on that lease? I said, yeah. He said, they'll pay to get out of it. I hadn't thought about that. And they said, whatever they pay you, you can keep. So, off we went. We arranged, the church gave sacrificially, God bless them. We all gave all that we could. We then mortgaged the rest. But because the recession hit, we had seven mortgage deals reneged on at the point of signing. And you know how long it takes to set up a deal, right? And at the point of signing, no. And eventually we got there, but we needed, we were £600,000 short because as this recession bit, they cut the loan to value, they increased the interest rates, they reduced the amount they would lend, so the gap began to open. And we needed 600000 I'd gone back to the bank now and said, see that building we were going to rent from you? Yeah, we're actually buying it. We're becoming your landlords. And here's the thing I discovered. They stopped the lease when we'd first tried to rent it because the person in charge of their UK property hated Christians and swore no Christian will ever have this building. I met that lady later. And do you know why she hated Christians? Offense. Something had happened. That's the challenge of an offense. But faith overcomes it. And so, anyway, they said, listen, there's a recession on banks have got no money. We'll give you £180,000. I said, no, no, it's worth a lot more than that. I need 600000 from you guys. No deal. And, you know, months went by. And every day in that month, and the month after, and the month after, I had to go back and remember, faith is my servant. I've got to keep using it. I've got to keep using it. No, we've got to get, we've got to get this. But it got to the point where the bank wouldn't talk to us. They wouldn't settle on their lease. And we'd started calling early morning prayer meetings to pray the problem through. And in one of those early morning prayer meetings, a man just before he rushed off to work said, Andrew, in the prayer meeting, while we were worshipping God this morning, God told me to give you this telephone number. And he'd written on a scrappy piece of paper. I said, what is this number? He said, this is a guy that I knew nine years ago who worked for that bank. But I haven't seen him for nine years. And I don't even know if his number's the same. And I've heard he's relocated to the bank's head office in Australia. Oh, great, thanks. That's a real big help. And I put the number in my wallet, right? I actually dismissed it. Thought nothing of it. Didn't give it a second thought. I forgot about it the moment I walked out of that prayer meeting. Two weeks later, I'm driving my car. And the Holy Spirit says to me, phone that number right now. So I pull the car over thinking, have I still got the number? I still had it in my wallet. Then I start dialing, thinking, what am I going to say to this guy? How am I going to open this conversation while I'm dialing? And then I realize, he's probably in Australia. What time is it in Australia? Anyway, the guy answers the phone, and he says, can't talk now. So he doesn't ask who's there. Can't talk now. Hangs up. But he doesn't hang up. He leaves the line open. I can hear his conversation. And I can hear four, five, six people in this room. And this is what he says. 
This is what came out of his mouth. That destiny crowd in Glasgow, what is it they want? 400, 500, whatever it is they want, give it to them. <laughs> Am I dreaming? And I look at my phone. No, that, that number is in my phone. I've just made that call. I was stunned. I sat there for I don't know how. I was stunned. What do I do with that information? So I go back to the bank, call them up. This head of property won't even come to the phone to talk to me. She doesn't even, doesn't even lie. She just says, tell him I don't want to talk to him. <laughs> so it took me 20 minutes to persuade her to come to the phone. She comes. She said, what, you're going to take her 180? I said, no, you're going to give me 600,000. How do you work that out? I said, phone this guy, he'll tell you. Ten days later, I had to check for 600,000 pounds. It's amazing, huh? And all of that from a little step of, can I rent this floor? So the step can look really small, but if you will move out with God and see faith as your servant... That faith will overcome even the offenses that have locked up your town or your city. See, an offense doesn't just affect you. The devil uses the offense to affect generation after generation after generation. And as Christians, we've got some ground to cover in some places. But when you start using your faith, faith always operates through love. And the two things always go together. God starts loving people through it. And he can overturn what the devil meant for bad. So that's good, isn't it? <laughs> Hope you're feeling encouraged. I was encouraged to see that story. More encouraged than I was by the next slide, which some of you will have seen. I just wanted to show you where we're at as a church at the moment so that we can connect that faith and expectation with our reality. Um, I don't know what's in your bank account. I do know what's in the church one. So um, that, you know, I'm not going to talk about any one, but about who we are together. Here we go. Anyway, um, this is what our budget for this year looks like. All, most of our money comes from people who are church members. There's some that comes from other people as well. And every year as a church, we have a we don't know where it will actually come from bit. We've got a clear idea of what giving is coming. And this year, our we don't know where it will come from amount was just over £50,000. Um, if you want, to, by the way, to understand a bit more of the dynamics of our church finances then um, there's a blog post that you can find. Go to the church homepage online, click on blogs, and the first blog that will come up is just a bit of an explanation of how it is that we plan to spend money even though we don't know where it will come from and what the dynamics of that are. Um, as of now, our, our financial year runs from September through to August. As things stand, uh, our numbers look like this. Uh, we've had some bits of extra giving come in. Those are the numbers. If you can't see the number at the top there, there is a remaining, we still don't know where it will come from, gap of £42,000. It's gone down from 52 to 42, which is good, but £42,000 is still a chunk of money, right? And this is, this is the Oxford Community Church finances. Um, and it's an opportunity, therefore, for us to pray and to have some more stories. A bit like when I heard that with our current car, the head gasket had gone. That could have been really stressful. But you know what? I've learned a bit about how God works. And it's a provocation to pray and to see what's God going to do this time. Because as Jesus said, 
The Father knows your needs. It's true for every one of us. Whatever need you are in, the Father knows. And as I've just numbered a need that we have together as a church, the Father knows that need as well. And we can bring it before him in prayer. To bring some focus to our praying and also to have a a clear opportunity for giving, we're going to pray for God to deal with that, uh, not just by the end of August, but we're praying for some, towards some special offerings that we're going to take on Sundays in June. So not next week, but the following three weeks, the 10th, the 17th, and the 24th, we're going to make this a focus of prayer together. We're going to have offerings, as we normally do, but with a greater expectation that God would you, through those offerings, sort this out for us. That's what's happening over the, the next few weeks. All of that is about financial freedom. There is a freedom from stress that God wants to give us. And I want to just run through another couple of freedoms that God wants to give us. Ha! Freedom from sloppiness. Uh, in Matthew 25, I'm, I'm going to just skip reading the whole of it. But in Matthew 25, Jesus tells a number of parables And one of them is entitled The Parable of the Talents, which is about some large amounts of money that a a king gives to to his servants as he goes away, and he tells them to look after it. And it's a parable that speaks of the importance of diligent stewardship. Those who received that money and stewarded it well had it increase in their hands, and for that they were further rewarded. The one who was careless in his stewardship, who didn't handle it well, didn't even really think properly about what to do, that is, he was sloppy in his care for it, um, both failed to make money and was himself um, punished. I'm not going to say anything like as much about this as I have about the freedom from stress, but actually these things are linked Uh, sloppiness in our finances is often a cause of the stress that we then encounter. What do I mean by this, sloppiness? Um, What I mean is that it does actually take effort and choice to manage our own finances. It takes time and energy. I don't know how you do it. Personally, I set aside half a day every month to go over our domestic finances, cross-referencing our records, checking payments, looking ahead, managing, stewarding things. Um, depending on you know, whether you've got a, a household or it's simply you, your own personal finances to look at, and I don't know how long that will take you or how you would... You might find some wonderful uh, app that means you can just do it all really well on the go. What I do know is that it takes time and energy, it takes effort and choice to manage things well. Um, if Bev were here, you could ask her, and she would tell you that that half hour in the month, is, sorry, half day in the month, is basically my grumpiest half day of the month. I hate it. Um, before I start doing it, I say to the family, I'm about to do our monthly finances. You know I hate doing it. Um, you might like to steer a wide berth whilst I spend the next few hours being grumpy. Uh, I just really don't like doing the task. Now, some of you love 
the numbers and the, and I don't. Um, I have spent most of my adult life being sloppy in stewarding finances because I hate doing it. But hating doing it doesn't make it happen. There is a discipline of spending time. Um, you know, it's not my forte, personally, but I still need to do it. No, I wasn't trained in handling finances as I grew up either. My parents trained me in lots of ways. They didn't cover off that one. Um, I've made a difference with our daughters. Now, starting with Amber, they have, they have to fill in a spreadsheet. Detail, she has to fill in a spreadsheet detailing her income and outgoings, and it has to balance before she gets her next month's allowance. I don't know how many of you were brought up that way. I'm trying to set our, my own daughters on a better course than the one I entered into adult life with because it's taken me quite a long time to get to grips with things. The truth is that if we don't work on stewarding our finances, if we don't put effort into it, then our finances will look like this. It will be a leaky bucket. And what will happen is that there will not be enough money to meet predictable costs. That, that we will find that there will not be enough money left at the end of the month because we spent it all on stuff and actually we don't even know where it's gone. It's just not there anymore. We spent it on something. The only evidence of that is that it's gone. Uh, brothers and sisters, we are called to be disciplined with the money that's in our hands. And it will take us some effort. For those of you who, like me, uh, don't enjoy, like really don't enjoy that, it's a wonderful thing that we are part of a church community the biggest steps forward and advances for me in handling my finances better have been when I've gone to someone else in the church and said, look, this is, this is my spreadsheet. This is, this is what I'm doing with my money. I don't know that I'm doing a good job. Uh, I think you do a better job than I do. Would you just look over it with me? Um, I've done that with Keith and Eileen at some point with even just recently with Peter Allen, sat down and said, because I value their diligence and wisdom. Um, I, am, I have been helped by other people. Other people have helped me know what a spreadsheet should look like and how much time and energy I should be putting into it. There are people amongst us who are, who are gifted in that and actually like doing it, so that if you asked them to help you, they'd be like, oh, that's more fun in my life. There are. There are such people who would love to help you. There's just a, a step of humility, really, to say, I don't think I'm, do I, I don't think I'm doing all of this as well as, as well as I could be. So if you feel that challenge to be freed up from the kind of sloppiness that has often, in fact, led to stress in your life, you aren't alone. Um... I just ask, those of you that actually enjoy managing finances, could you wave a hand? Yeah, there's, stick it a bit higher, a little bit higher. It's, don't be embarrassed. You're wonderful. This is an opportunity to say, I'm a wonderful person in this particular way. So look, there's a number, you saw those hands going up. If you've seen any of those people and you actually think that you might like and trust them as well, why not have a word? So, you know, 
If you need some help, get some help, because we all need help in different ways. Uh, amongst the different kinds of discipline, I can't fail to mention the one that Andrew Owen in that video mentioned, which is to do with tithing, because it is a significant feature of life. The temple tax was a couple of drachmas. Uh, tithing, the word tithe means tenth, tenth of all that you have. It's therefore a bigger thing and worth commenting on. To tithe means giving 10% of all that you have directly to the Lord as best as you know how. What I, what I mean by that is that, you know, how do you give money to the Lord? He doesn't have a bank account in the name of the Lord. But what most of us do, and the most obvious thing to do, is to give it to the church where you worship as part of your worship. It's giving it to the Lord. Um, I say 10% of income. Um, as a, Our understanding that we've held as a church together is it's 10% of gross income, not net income, if you're a taxpayer. And personally, as a family, we, we also tithe on, uh, if we give them financial gifts. Um, come Christmas, we tot up any financial gifts we've got. We make sure we tithe on all that we've been given. Um, and actually, what we do is, because I hate doing finances and getting all the numbers just right, I kind of tot it up quite quickly and then just make sure I give a tithe that's clearly more than that to err on the side of having covered it all, because I find that a better way of operating than trying to get it to the penny. Um, as Andrew Owen said in the video, this practice of tithing, it has its origin in the Old Testament. In Matthew's Gospel, the one place where we find Jesus mentioning tithing, it's in a particular context of drawing attention to matters of justice, mercy, and righteousness, but he clearly says that we should indeed be tithing. Um, the passage that says the clearest thing to encourage us about the significance of this particular discipline is right in the end of the Old Testament, and it says this. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet, and this is God speaking, you rob me. You ask, how? How are we robbing you? And this is the word of the Lord. It's in tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. These words embolden me to say, if you're not seeing God's provision, and if you are stressed by finance, try tithing. If you want to see God's kingdom come, try tithing. Do you know what? It's very easy to do. Uh, you just get the church bank details and set up a standing order. It takes a few minutes. And if you let the church office know that it's you that's giving the money that you've set up, then we can claim gift aid and add 25% to it. It's really, really easy to do. It's just a choice. It's a choice of faith and trusting God. And God promises, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there won't be enough room to store it. I'd love to take time to tell the stories that I know of people who've taken this step of faith, which has felt like stepping off the boat to walk on water and then found that God provided. I remember particularly Joe McCobb, who... Um, 
uh, the Macobbers were part of the church here for a number of years. The first time that he tithed, he got a bonus in his wage packet the next month, which was the exact amount to the penny of what he'd given as his first ever tithe. Jesus says, your father knows what you need. And I want to let you know that there, there's, a, there's a righteous power in living this way. And I wouldn't want you to miss out on it. So there we go. There's a freedom from stress. There's a freedom from sloppiness. Um, there's also a freedom from stinginess. Um, when, when I, when I um, Amber, our eldest daughter, I, got her, I normally get Bev to check my PowerPoints to check I've not, got nothing too obscure or accidentally rude in them. I got Amber to it. She said, why are you getting people to talk about stinginess? What... What is this about nettles or wasps? Or I'm trying to say stinginess. Uh, again and again, the New Testament, uh, the Gospels in, in give us stories of people who gave liberally from what they had. There's the widow with her little mites that she gave, but it was all that she had, and Jesus commends her. There's Zacchaeus, Luke chapter 19, who gives back the money that he's stolen, but actually four times over, he gives it away. There's a liberality a freedom from miserliness and stinginess, a largeness in their giving. And in Matthew's gospel, to close, let me read to you from Matthew chapter 26, which is where the story of the alabaster jar of perfume comes in Matthew's gospel. Jesus was at Bethany in the home of a man known as Simon the leper. And a woman came to him with an alabaster jar a very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. And when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. It's just one of a whole number of stories where Jesus places value on not being stingy, not being miserly, giving it away. Largeness in our giving. That's why we love the Dickens Christmas Carol where there's this man called Scrooge. Keeps it all to himself. He would have loved my first two points with Scrooge. I get loads of money and I get to manage it. Mm. Marvellous. This is the, this third point is the one that overcomes that Scrooge-like miserliness. So there's another kind of financial freedom that God wants us to have. And actually, this is the point at which we know we're free from serving the God of money. Mammon, as it sometimes translated as I read from the Sermon on the Mount. This is the point at which we actually, we know that we're free. Because money's not exercising its old power over us to spend it on ourselves. Give away with largeness to whomever you will, whomever God leads you to give away to. Acts, uh, um, Matthew 26, the last little bit of this story, Jesus says of this woman... I tell you the truth, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And here's a principle. 
acts of extraordinary generosity, they release an extraordinary testimony. Act, let me say that again. Acts of extraordinary generosity release an extraordinary testimony. As we give generously, a sound goes out. And it's a sound that gives glory to God. God wants us to live in freedom. Um, I started by saying that I, there's all kinds of different financial situations amongst us. Um, honestly, I've been in a bit of a strange state of mind preparing to speak this morning on account of Bev being with her mum and the bereavement that we experienced. And normally when I'd speak about money, I would think to the point of overthinking about wanting to say everything just right. And if something that I've said this morning sounded harsh or amiss to you, if you feel accused of being sloppy and it's not... I don't know how... I'm just aware that I might have made a few missteps here and there because of how I've come to the morning. I just want to say, don't let that get in the way. Receive the word of God. Forgive me if you need to, but trust God. And may we live in the freedom that he promises us. Amen? Amen. Amen.